Would you please turn with me to Romans chapter 15 in your Bibles? Worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. These four represent the main objectives that we have here at Calvary Bible. If you've had opportunity to sit in on a membership class here, then you have actually been part of getting more information and detail about these. Sometimes you'll see this on signs that are posted around the church. Oftentimes you'll see in the bulletin, worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression. When we look at these, they are to help us in a couple different ways. One way is to do evaluation. When we look back at anything that we have done, all that we have done should fall underneath one, and oftentimes more, of those main objectives. But it's also helpful for us as we look forward. When you and I look to what we're going to be doing as a church family or as individual Christians that are part of a church, those are to help guide us along. All things that we're doing should fall underneath one of those, worship, instruction, fellowship, or expression. Or it might be helpful for us to use this sentence, all of this stuff going on makes sense if you keep these objectives in mind. We kind of see that today with the Apostle Paul in the closing of his letter. We've been wonderfully walking through this uh, fundamental letter written to churches and written specifically to the church at Rome. And the Apostle Paul has walked them through some of the deepest teachings that we find in the Scriptures. He's gotten through all of that, and then we got to chapter 12. He kind of said, now you guys need to apply this. You have to get along. And now he comes to the close. And as the Apostle Paul works now to talk to them about um, his closing thoughts, he's going to do a couple things. One thing he's going to do is he's going to tell them a little bit about himself and where he's going, and the other thing is he gives them an evaluation. What we'll see in God's Word today is that the Apostle Paul reminds this church of his call and specifically what he's going to be doing, and then he gives them some fantastic feedback. Very lovingly, the Apostle Paul is going to tell them some things that they're doing very, very well. Now, These things are so important that I have written them down and I have stored them in this secure case that I have up here on the platform. We'll bring them out and we'll let you see what they are. Um, I carried this case into my house last night and all those in my house were very curious as to what was in there, but they do not know yet. I actually said there was a, I wasn't going to give the combination, but there's actually no combination on the case. And so anybody can open this at any time. But these things are so important Paul's going to say, as we close this time of this encouragement in this letter, keep these things in mind. If you can keep these things in mind, then you're really going to understand where you're going. And even when it looks like chaos, it's not chaos because of these things that help us along the way. As the Apostle Paul writes here, the first thing that I see that jumps out is that we have, a tan- we have tangible ministry results are going to be obvious to the many that are watching. Paul talks to them in the close, 
And it is clear that when there are good results, good fruit, it's going to be clear to those who are looking on. I've oftentimes wondered if I were on the receiving end of an evaluation of the Apostle Paul, I will be on the receiving end of our Lord Jesus Christ someday. But the Apostle Paul had opportunity to write some inspired books, and sometimes he gave some adjectives that described the churches. I want to start out with a letter that he wrote to another church. It was the church at Corinth. Maybe some of you are familiar with the church at Corinth. In Paul's letter to them, he used some words that would describe them. And I want to start out with that because it really helps us to know how well the church in Rome was doing. When he writes to the church at Corinth, there is a clear picture that they are a church that can be described as worldly. He also uses a comparison of them to being infants. Spiritual infants is what he calls them. And I wonder if the Apostle Paul were to write about our church. What word he might use. That's a good test for us to think of every now and then. And of course, we will stand before the Lord someday and He will judge us on our stewardship of what we did with what we were given. But beautifully, the Apostle Paul uses some words for uh, this church here. And here's how Paul starts this closing section. He says, I am satisfied because of these reasons with you as a church. Of course, he spent a lot of time correcting them. We've seen that. These Jews and Gentiles need to figure out how to get along. But Paul is not nervous when this letter closes that it's not going to work. He's confident that it's going to be a wonderful picture of success. I have one friend that is in ministry and he just left one church and he went to another. And he found out all these things at this church that he just went to that he did not know. And it seemed like a nightmare situation that he was landing in. What would a pastor want to know about a church? Can I suggest to you these things that the Apostle Paul says about the church at Rome are something, some things that are very encouraging. They would give confidence. Look with me starting in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We see that Paul gives some descriptions of this church here. And let's go ahead and go into our box and find the first one. Goodness. He describes this church full of people, and he says, I am satisfied by the goodness that is demonstrated in your church. We understand the Apostle Paul did not start this church, but he's helping them along the way. And as he sees them, and as he knows their goodness, the way he knows that is because he knows up to about 30 people that are part in the church of Rome. 
They're going to get listed later on in Romans. He knows people that are there. And he knows the fruit. In fact, that word fruit should jump out to us. When we think of the fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives, goodness is one that should be front and center. They lived in a wicked society. They lived in a place where not too long ago Caligula had quite a bit of influence and rule. And this fruit of the Spirit is going to help them along the way. He gives another description right after that. He tells them that goodness is obvious. And then he commends them for their knowledge. I think that's a great compliment. When we talk about knowledge, we're not just saying that they had a good handle on on the Christmas story and the Easter story. There's a whole lot of people that just have a handle on the Christmas story and the Easter story. Maybe a few others they picked up in Sunday school. But this was a knowledge that gave the Apostle Paul satisfaction because because he understood that this is what they're going to need as they continue on. As you go and get busy with all the different things that will call for your time, this needs to be one of the guiding principles to, to be increasing in the knowledge of God. I think that the believers in the church in Rome knew the Scriptures, and of course, when we're talking about that church, what are we speaking of of the Scriptures? Mostly the Old Testament, right? I think that they knew the Old Testament very, very well. I think that they recognized the principle taught in the book of Hosea, where in chapter 4, verse 6, Hosea writes, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. And so because of their knowledge and because of the fruit of goodness, this community of believers was able to be a stable influence, a stable group in an extremely unstable world. One more description of the church that Paul gives. The last thing that he said there was that they are able to give, give instruction to one another. This is so key for a church to be not only healthy, but to be growing. But it's not always that easy. Because if you're going to have relationships where people can give instruction one to another, there has to be humility. If someone's going to instruct me, that means I have to admit there are things that I don't know. Now, I recognize there are many things that I do not know. And yet it's hard for us sometimes, isn't it, to receive rebuke or receive instruction. They were a church that practiced this idea of being honest with one another. When we talk about the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And it's, it's a wonderful word picture that Paul gives when he writes to that church and about why they needed to have knowledge and why they needed to be helping one another to have even more. He writes in 4.13 of Ephesians, No longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by human cunning. 
Would it surprise you if I told you that the devil wants you to be thrown off with every wind of a new doctrine that comes along? It's important that you have knowledge so that you are not pulled onto some kind of a false teaching. We are blessed. We are blessed to have people in this assembly that value the scriptures in their own life and also helping others. And I was reminded of this just this morning because we've got a problem around here. And I heard about, I heard about it from more than one person. You see, the shipment of our daily breads is late. You guys know what the date today is? It's the last day of February. What's that mean? It means tomorrow's March 1st. That's when the new daily breads start. Second person in the door today said, are the daily breads here? Daily breads give a wonderful little devotional that's well written, but they also give you a a very strategic plan to read through the Bible. And I wasn't here very long before I asked somebody else, are the daily breads here? What does that tell me? It tells me that there are people here who have a habit of pouring the Word of God into their life. That's going to be encouraging when someone sees this church assembly. These three positives that he mentions... What's that going to mean for this church body? He's not going to go there and stay with them and be their pastor. So so what does that mean? It means that they are going to be a a, a self-correcting entity. Did the church at Rome have problems? Of course they did, because they had people in their church. And they had problems, but Paul wasn't worried about it because of these things that he saw, the goodness and their, not, their love for knowledge and their, their ability to instruct others. And he was able to speak boldly to them, not thinking that he was going to knock them down and they would be out for the count. But he speaks the truth in love because they can take it because of the fruits that were in their church. Paul views this ministry as something wonderful And he viewed his own ministry, the the language there that we read, it's kind of like the Old Testament priest language. His ministry, what God has called him to, is like a sacrifice of thanksgiving back to God. So he's satisfied with their health as a church. But why is this a big deal? Why is it that important that Paul is so impressed with them as a healthy local church body? He didn't start that church. Why does he care so much? That takes us to our next idea here from our text, and that is this. God's plan for you is going to lead you to a high purpose. There is no one who is a child of God who is exempt from this. If you're a child of God, his plan for you is going to take you to a high purpose purpose. Should we define that a little bit? What do I mean by high purpose? Well, just very simply, I mean things that are going to last past the 60 or 80 or 100 years that we have in this world. Spending your time doing things that will last for eternity. When you stand before God, what are the things that you'll be pleased that he sees. Of the things that we had to envy about the Apostle Paul, and there are many things that I would envy about him, one of the things that stands out to me is the clarity of his call in life. 
don't you wish you had as clear of a call as the Apostle Paul did? It was obvious to him what he was to be doing, and the Apostle Paul is quick. He is bold to boast on the work of the Holy Spirit, the work that God called him to do. Did I just use the word boast? Hold on. Is that, am I saying that we should be bragging? And the answer is yes. You and I should be bragging about what God does through us as we serve him in the way that he has called us. And I'm not that impressed if you can dunk a basketball or, you know, if, you, if you've got some great ability when it comes to hunting or baking or whatever else. I do appreciate the baking, though. <laughs> Having said that, we will stand before God someday and it's okay for us right now to brag on what he is doing. That's what the Apostle Paul says here. Look at verses 17 through 19. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Paul had a higher calling. Hold it. Does the gospel of Jesus Christ work in places where they cut off the heads of people that respond to grace and salvation? Does the gospel of Jesus Christ work in places where they've had some churches, but it seems like those churches have dwindled down and some would even call them dead churches? How about this? Can the gospel of Jesus Christ work in a community where the environment is dominated by Satan worship? And there are some communities like that. Can the gospel work in a place like that? And the answer is yes. God's plan for the gospel is that it would start in Jerusalem and it would go to the ends of the earth. And that takes us to our next main objective. This one's not for the church, but this was what the Apostle Paul is all about. If you understand this, it will help you to understand what Paul has done and what Paul is going to do. Paul was all about the unreached. He's going to say something in just a moment in this letter that's going to reaffirm that. He was about those who had not yet been reached. He writes this letter to this mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and in his future, it's going to be almost exclusively Gentiles that he's working with. He had a calling from God to do something higher. And he was called to take the gospel to people who had never heard it and had no other gospel witness. If you know this about the Apostle Paul, it'll help you understand why he didn't accept the call to a pastorate somewhere. He was all about getting the gospel out to individuals who had never heard it. 
And the gospel worked everywhere he preached it. Or I should say, the gospel worked everywhere that he preached it. Whether there's beheadings or Satan worship or it's a dead church that's no longer there, God's plan for the gospel is to go everywhere. And when he preached the gospel, the result that he saw that we just read about was it brought obedience. Not just getting people to make some kind of an emotional decision, but it brought obedience. That was the fruit. And then he says there, that he, the, the Apostle Paul is one of the few that have the title Apostle. And God authenticated him as an Apostle by allowing him to have signs and wonders in his ministry. Wonderfully, he was able to heal a cripple. You might remember in our study in the book of Acts when there was that slave girl that was possessed by a demon and he cast out that demon. And then... The one that's a little bit convicting for me is when he raised a person from the dead. Do you remember when he raised the boy from the dead? The reason it's convicting is because Paul was preaching there. We have record of it in the book of Acts. And he preached so long into the night that a boy fell asleep. Some of you are smiling. The boy fell asleep, fell out the window, and was killed because Paul preached so long. No comments, please. Paul went down and performed a miracle and healed him. And they went back up. Do you remember what Paul did after they went back up? He, he, kept, he kept on preaching. God called him to this, and God established him as an apostle. But the Holy Spirit gets all the credit. But how obvious when God calls you to do something that is great and that is for him, that you want to tell people about it. God has blessed this. And so we need to have those God stories telling people about what he has done. Because there is no barrier, listen, there is no barrier known to man that can stop what God wants you to do. If he's calling you to it, go to it. And give him the glory when he blesses that wonderful work. And so Paul says, I started out in Jerusalem. I preached all the way to to northwest Greece, is where Illyricum is. I've been all over the place, and I've been doing this for a long time. And so some of us might think of the Apostle Paul in the closing of his letter. He's going to say, I'm going to take a break. But he doesn't say that. We might think, you know, you you got your 20 years in, Paul. Why don't you go ahead... And call it quits. Cash in your 401k. And that takes us to the last thing in the box. This one's a little bit different. We find here, in case you can't read it, the words retired Christian. And it's got a big old X marking it out. There is no plan for a child of God in this world to stop serving God as a Christian. And the Apostle Paul is the perfect example of this. That's our last point. We are never to retire from serving the Lord. Not a one of us. In fact, some guys get to their 60s and 70s, and I think they're hitting their prime, honestly. Paul is about to tell them where he's going to go next. There's a place that's been unreached, 
and it's Spain. And on my way to Spain, I want to stop and I want to visit with you guys. We're going to visit and we're going to, you know, probably have a chicken dinner, whatever they, whatever they did back in those days. I want to visit with you. And Paul is confident that God is going to continue to use him because of his unique calling. And the words that he's about to say, don't get the idea that it's pride. When he says, I don't want to build on somebody else's work, this is not something prideful. You've got to go back to the main objective. What's Paul's main objective? It is to reach unreached people. And so look at verses 20 and 21. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. He quotes, I believe, from Isaiah here, which he just talked about Isaiah kind of telling all of them, none of us should be surprised that the Gentiles are included in this group. It has always been God's plan for all of the world to have opportunity to be in his family. Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners, and every one of us is in that group. Jesus Christ did not stay dead in the tomb, but he rose triumphantly from the grave, and he not only conquered death, But Jesus Christ conquered sin. And that's why you and I can have hope today. Sometimes we wonder, why are we still in this world? I was just having a conversation with somebody in the first service about that. How we handle that when someone says, I don't want to be here anymore. How do you respond to that when someone says, I want to go to heaven, I I don't want to be here? That's a tough one. One of our saints gave me some good wisdom on how to handle that. But can I suggest to you that you are here? And if you are here, why not take every opportunity that you can to understand that you're here for a higher purpose and to be faithful to what God calls you to do? So what can we do with a section like this of God's Word? Well, first of all, Be a part of helping your church accomplish big picture goals. Be a part of that. Not too long ago, I told the illustration of when Tina and I were on a bike ride in town and the bike path, and there was a tree that cracked, and a big branch came and just crashed right probably 20 seconds in front of us. We heard the crack, and we stopped, and a huge branch fell across the path right here in town. And one of the things that I remember about that, because this tree had just been broken open, was I went and I saw thousands upon thousands upon thousands of bugs going every which way. Have you ever had an opportunity to pick up the bottom side of a log or even the bottom of a rock and see a bunch of bugs just going every which way? I pick that up and I see that and my mind wants to tell them, Get it together, guys. Look at you going over here and you're going over here. You guys look crazy. And yet, they know what they're doing. They've got it figured out. And sometimes in this present world, it might be hard. Why are we doing this? Why did they say that? Where are we going? And it kind of feels 
like it's intertwining. And it kind of feels like a mess sometimes. But when you keep the big picture in mind, the big picture, doing something that will count for eternity, that's going to be a help. Also, I'm going to give you permission to brag. Would you like to brag? Not bragging on your ability and not bragging on whatever it is that you're good at. I know a lot of you are good at a lot of stuff. But bragging on what God has done as you have been faithful to answer that call. Brag about what God has done to anyone who will listen. Around here, we like to call those God stories. Things that some people will say, well, that's just dumb luck, or that was just chance. And as you get opportunity to get to know the God of the Bible and the change he made in your life, how wonderful that you can share that. And no one will be able to convince you that was just luck. Nobody can tell you that was just chance that that happened. You will say, look at what my God has done. And it's nice when it's something small and that we can give God credit for, but the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to boast in what God has called me to do when he blesses it. So know what God has called you to do and tell as many people as possible. And then finally, don't be afraid to try something new for the Lord. Where's Paul going after this? He wants to go to, did you hear earlier? He wants to go to Spain. And he wants to stop and visit these wonderful believers on his way. He had never been there before, but he wasn't afraid of that. And as the Apostle Paul is going to stop and visit with these believers, he is going to be so blessed because what he's going to find is an entity that is there in that church that is able to continue in a healthy way. He helped them with this letter. He said, you guys need to get some things straight. But he wasn't nervous that was going to knock them down because they were a church that understood the very, very important things. They were busy with the important things. And if Paul were writing to us today, I wonder if he knew 30 people from our congregation. Would he say, you guys... You're busy with the important things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in this world. (laughs) This dark and weary world filled with sin and sickness and disappointment. We praise you for our time in this world. And we praise you, Heavenly Father, that you have loved us so much that you've allowed us to hear about the gospel message that we have talked about today, Christ dying on the cross for my sins. And we praise you that you allow us to be used in an amazing way, a way that only you could bring about and only you could get credit for. And so, Heavenly Father, we'd ask that you would allow us to be convicted, convicted about what we are busy with, With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you a chance to pray. Oftentimes, there's something that will jump out from a text that is convicting to somebody. Take just a moment and pray about anything the Lord might be speaking to you about. 
I would also open it up for individuals to pray a prayer of salvation. You see, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and he died on the cross for your sins. And what that means is you can be forgiven of your sins. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No longer would you have to pay the punishment for your sins in an eternity in a place called hell, but you could have confidence that you'll be on your way to heaven when you die. If you are feeling led to pray a prayer like that today, just start to pray. Just start to think the words and the Holy Spirit will help you. As the piano continues, just take a moment and pray to God.